Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe. I'm your host, Sean T. I love that you're here today. Today, we have an incredible guest. His name is Jason Moselle. Most people know him as Mosey. And like a lot of people, 9-11 really changed our lives. And for him, it made him want to go into the military and really become a driving force for our country being better. But with that, he suffered the loss of his friend. And from that experience, he went on a roller coaster ride of emotions and all the way taking him to really try to persevere and be the best that he can be. This story, everyone, is very intense, but it also will inspire you beyond to really tap into your reserve. So get ready to trust and believe. Somebody say it again. No, no, no. What's up? You better than Oprah. Come on, This is Sean T, and it's time to trust and believe. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's up, Jason? How's it going? It's good. You know what's so interesting about your story? And I don't know if a lot of people know this. And this interview is not about me, but I love to uh, connect to my guests. And I love to find a way to connect to them immediately. But um, everyone thinks that this tattoo, or a lot of people think that this tattoo on my arm is a marine tattoo or something but it's actually a phoenix and you know when i was learning about you i realized that wow this is another person that really understands the phoenix story but simultaneously a lot of people really associate you with like the military but your whole thing is like no i want to tell you how i rose from the ashes and so um i'm just happy to connect with you on that level today because you know, a lot of people look at the Phoenix and they think like, oh, you know, they had struggle and they accomplished something, which is really great for everyone. But everyone's story is so unique and personal. And there's a reason why that fire was lit inside of you. So I'm just going to jump right in. You know, what was your day one? Everybody has a different day one. And when I say day one, what was that moment where you were like, oh, my goodness, a change needs to happen? So I always tell everybody, I always preface it my story with that it's a freaking roller coaster. And so it's we're going to go up, we're going to come down, and then we're going to go up again. So that day one where I knew things needed to change was in 2005 when uh, I had tried to take my own life. Hmm. And I found myself in a mental ward totally stripped naked like the day I was born they threw me in like these robes like it was that movie one flew over the cuckoo's nest and I'm in a locked up room with metal grating over the windows you know you gotta knock on the door so that they can come unlock the bathroom to take a piss I mean it was probably the darkest moment of my life up to this point and even though there's, it's been ups and downs since then, that was the, the time where I was like, some shit need, needs to change. And so 
first of all, only because <clears throat> I, I have like very specific questions. <laughs> when you're in this room and you're stripped naked, what is actually happening? Because to someone listening, it's like, wow, like, oh my goodness, that happened to you. But there's something percolating in your mind at that very moment. Because I think all of these steps, you know, are steps to get to the next step of where you're going. Mm-hmm. And when you're taken into this facility, obviously there's a lot going on. Um, so to kind of preface it, what I'm about to say, essentially there was a buildup to that point. <clears throat> I had served in, over in Iraq already. Um, one thing that sticks out to me um, all the time, even to this day, was a friend in my platoon watching him get killed. And it just replayed over and over and over. And when we came back, the only way that I felt that I can try to silence that was by drinking. And then it was pills and so on and so forth. And it just kept piling on top of each other. And then that night I said, the hell with all this and tried to take my own life. I just choked down all my pills, a bunch of alcohol and said, that's it. We're out. And they find me, they drag me out and, uh, throw me in the ambulance, bring me to the mental ward. And like, now you're sitting there, you're getting like a stomach pump, you're drinking charcoal, like the whole thing. So it was a very whirlwind moment. And then they strip everything off of you um, because now you're just at a high risk of taking your own life. So they don't want you to have any shoelaces. They don't want you to have any knives, any, any type of object of any type. So they take everything away from you. And when I look back on that moment now, it's, it's almost like taking this really dark time and like the darkest it's ever been. And it's actually more like a rebirth in the Mm -hmm. sense of everything stripped from you. Like your whole house was just demolished. You don't even have a foundation anymore. Like you're just a thing of dirt and it's like, good. Now we can rebuild. You know, I'm one of those people that I listen to a story, but I really like grabbing the foundation. So there was a time where I interviewed three veterans and, you know, they actually told me about their story when they were in combat and the worst of the worst happened. And without going into detail about what happened, it's more of like, I want people to understand the feeling that you're in when you see something so terrible happen and like how that really starts to affect you at that moment. So going back to that moment when I was in Iraq um, with my buddy who was killed in the moment, you don't necessarily think too much about it. Like it's not there. There's a lot going on and everything like that. It's when everything starts to settle And it just is a replay in your mind over and over. And then you start to have what they call survivor's guilt. Like, was there anything I can do? Was there something I should have done? You know, why was it him? Why was it not me? Um, So in that moment, like, you're not really like feeling all everything as of yet. But then when you get back and you start to replay over and over in your head, you're just like, shit. And, you know, that's when you start to slump because Basically, what I was doing was I just kept sweeping that under the rug uh, and you never really face it. Um, And that was that's that was the big thing with me was always just taking it and sweeping it under the rug. So many people (laughs) I was actually talking about this yesterday. So many people um, we were talking about how you choose your hard path and some people deal with it face on right away and some people continue to sweep it under the rug and don't realize how it becomes the buildup which brought you to the day where you tried to take your own life so let's go back to you're in this room what happens next what is the what is that the outcome of you being you know placed in a facility a mental facility and you have to try to work your way through all of it, because I know it had to be filled with such incredible internal conversation and external conversation to other people, 
you know, I think it could really help a lot of people to hear how you started to process, you know, work the process to kind of get through it. Yeah. And you start to have, like you were saying, these internal dialogues with yourself. How did I get here? What, like, what's next? You know, that's always the next thing. And <clears throat> it always seems like so unreachable in the sense of like, here you are, the only light that you're getting in this room, the metal grates that they had, I'll never forget this, the metal grates they had over the window, they had these little holes in them. And when the sun would come up, that's the only light you got. You know, that was the light coming in. And <clears throat> you start to, you're, you're at this crossroad and you can take two paths and you can continue on the path that you were going down already, which you know, some could argue, and in my case, this is how I feel, is the semi-easier path. Just continue to go down that road, continue to medication, continue the alcohol, just keep sweeping everything under the rug. Or you have this other path where, you know, you look at it and you're like, fuck, that road is shitty. Like, this is going to be a rough path. Mm. But you kind of see, like, in The Wizard of Oz, they were going down the yellow brick road, and you kind of see the palace and in the way far in the distance. You're like, I mean, I see it. It's going to be better to get there, but <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And <clears throat> that was that. And so then you start to have these internal dialogues. And then in that situation, you start to talk to, you know, different psychiatrists and you start to talk to um, different like friends and family and things like that. The other side of it, though, that made this a very difficult path to kind of navigate was that even people that you had as good friends prior to that event, you lose. You know, that's there's no other way of saying it in the sense where maybe they feel hurt by what you did. So their emotions take over and they look at you and, you know, I've been at that time was called all types of different things. Um, and it was mainly, and so now like even some guys I went to Iraq with, they looked at me and they were like, get out. Like, we don't want to be associated with you. We don't want anything to do with you. And you have to have that mindset. You have to get into the mindset of that's okay. That, that is okay. Because, you have to understand this is your journey. This is your path. If they choose to help you, then that is their choice. If they do not, that is your, their choice. But you cannot let that make it, uh, have you make the decision between those two paths to say, well, he's, he or she's not going to be here. So I'm going to take the easier road. Mm. No, you still got to take that difficult road because everyone comes in and out of each other's lives for specific reasons. And if it's meant to be, they will come back into your life later on down the road. If you screwed up, hey, you screwed up. If they do not have, like right now, maybe their mindset isn't in there um, where they're going to forgive you or whatever, right, wrong, and different. But you know what? That has nothing to do with your journey. Your journey is to get down that yellow brick road to Oz. Why do you think... Um... This might be a difficult question, but it's just so interesting because being on being on your side, meaning because of what you're going through, people want to have nothing to do with you. Like they don't understand it. And maybe that's the answer to my question. But my question is, why do you think so many people see someone struggling and they shy away? You know, what do you think that thing is that, you know, you could have these like great pals or these, you know, amazing family members and then you start going through something that's not necessarily perfect. And then all of a sudden they want to live their life and kind of slowly push you out of it. So from my personal experience, I've seen it kind of mainly two different ways. One is that they feel so incredibly hurt by what you did. And because of that, like they thought they were so good friends, like how could he do something like this? Why didn't he come to me? You know, and it was, they feel as though it's a slap in the face. The other side that I saw was they don't want to be associated because of the stigma that may be around that was around me at that time. So they don't want to be associated because it's like, you know, Jay's acting this way. Like I, you know, he's getting a lot of heat. I'm going to 
hold back. Like, I don't, I don't want to be associated with that. And it wasn't everyone. Like, I'm not going to paint this like terrible picture that everybody of my past was like, just threw me to the wind. Yeah. Um, there were people that stuck by me the whole entire time. And, but I, those are the main two that I saw. One was the side of that. They felt so incredibly hurt that they were just like F off. And then the other side was that stigma that now came to me and people were like, I don't want to be associated with that. But I think that what's really mature or interesting about what you're saying, which a lot of people don't do, is that in both of those scenarios, you took ownership, right? Because I think that, and I think that's what is incredible about your story, which we'll hear more from, but <laughs> I think a lot I think a lot of people just don't want to take, take ownership. A lot of times when people walk out of their lives or whatever, they're like, oh, they don't do this or they don't do that. And that's why I asked the question because I wondered how you kind of process that. And I think that if people really start to take ownership for what it is that they're going through, then, you know, it's a better way to trust the process that is to come, if you will. <clears throat> so speaking of what's to come, so tell me more because I just need, I want to get to the top of that first because, you know, there was a roller coaster. You got to the top. You oh, went yeah. down and got to the top. So let's yeah. let's get to the top of the first hill. You know, like that, that backstory with me so that people don't think I'm like this crazy um, athletic person that was raised this way and everything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was your typical 90s kid. I mean, I had, you know, come from divorced parents, so on and so forth, you know, doing the normal school thing and like wearing Janko jeans, listening to heavy metal, chain wallet, you know, the most physical activity I did while in high school was hacky sack. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, yes. hacky sack, Janko jeans, and that was about it. So, um, and then while going through high school, you have September 11th, with, which had happened when I was a sophomore in high school. And that, like, what I tell people is, like, at that time, that was my generation's Pearl Harbor. Everyone was full of piss and vinegar. We're just like, you know, we're going to, now we're going to sign up. We're going to go over there. So, you know, went right to the recruiting station, went right down to the Marines and, you know, signed that dotted line, signed it on infantry, didn't care. Like, we're, we're just going. And, um, so a few weeks after I graduated high school, and that was the age of 16. Um, so a few weeks after I graduated high school, now I was then 17, I find myself in Paris Island in boot camp, um, you know, finish boot camp, go uh, to infantry training in North Carolina, and then shipped right over to uh, Camp Pendleton in California. And then that February, so I graduated in October 2003. Oh, I'm so yeah, 2003. And then February, 2004, I'm in Kuwait, like, and, and we're going over. So it was a very, very quick thing. And, you know, it's, you're just kids and you're, you're just going over there thinking you, you're going to save the world. And, uh, so we went in with, you know, at that time we didn't have like armor on our Humvees. We didn't have like a, a bunch of the stuff, like what they have now. And <clears throat> that's not a dig. It's just, that's what happened at that time. And that's a whole nother argument <laughs> for a different time. But, mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it started off kind of like, like, okay, I guess you can say for the most part. And then, um, the beginning of April, all hell broke loose in that time. Of what year? What year was that? 2004. Mm -hmm. And all hell broke loose in that town. And <clears throat> on April 4th of, uh, 2004 was when my friend um, uh, Jeffrey Morris had been killed uh, from our platoon. We were we were out one night and uh, RPG came down the road and hit him. And <clears throat> the days after that, uh, we were in very intense fighting, and then it was just on and off fighting the rest of the time we were there. And you guys were out one night, just kind of doing a just like a just a mission, like, or did you know yeah. you were under attack? No, we were just doing checkpoints. And so we were just, we just had our Humvees set up and everything was kind of like, just kind of typical. And then the civilians started to go away, which should have been the indication. Mm. And then just out of nowhere, RPG comes down the road and like that. Was he in his own truck <clears throat> at the time? Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. he was um, a gunner like me, and he had stepped out of the gun um, just to kind of get out, and he was just around the Humvee kind of doing overwatch. And, uh, yeah, he's probably, you know, he wasn't very far off from where I was. And, um, yeah, like 10 minutes, it seemed like 10 minutes after he got out of the um, turret, that RPG just came out of nowhere down the road and hit him. It's, um, first of all, sorry to hear that. And secondly, it's, it is uh, very interesting how you said we should have looked at the civilians and kind of knew that, you know, something was a little off. Um, anyway, thanks for sharing that. I know obviously it has to be tough reliving that. I know in the mental space you are now, you have, you know, the strength to, to talk about it, but I know that's definitely not easy. And, None of us who have, you know, never been in combat would never understand something like that, you know, because you're under like high stress anyway. And the reason you went into the military is, you know, because of a high stressful situation for our country. And so, you know, now you are in a situation where your life is changing and, and you're talking to yourself and you're like what the heck that i guess they say post-traumatic stress almost hits immediately when you start to relax what is your next step so after i get out of of the mental institution i still had um what two years left on my contract with the marines so it was i needed to make it through that and so um you know i i kind of and just kind of medicated throughout a large portion of the next two years, do another deployment to Iraq, which sounds crazy um, after that, after everything that had happened, but that did happen. So, you know, that two years was kind of like this, that was a, that was its own roller coaster in itself. Um, And I made it through and did my rest of my term in the uh, uh, Marines and was honorably discharged. So, when I was discharged, uh, me and my wife, Amber, we packed up the truck. We headed back across country, um, originally from Connecticut. We get to Connecticut and it just like, I wasn't doing crowds. I wasn't doing people like it just was not my thing. So I said, screw it. We're going North to Vermont. And that's what we did. We just kept the truck packed. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have family there, nothing. We just kept the truck packed and then landed in Vermont. Um, and then throughout the few, few good years after we had, um, moved, it was still that kind of roller coaster. It was this, it was this kind of like, I thought I'd be good, but I'm only, I only think I'm good because I'm like either heavily medicated or I'm drinking. And then the, when the medication started to like, when I started to wean off that medication, my drinking started to raise like really out of control because I was not facing that demon. Like, and that's what I, you're going to hear me say it all the time. Like I always call it my demon. Um, and I just kept heavily, heavily drinking because I just kept allowing that demon to have control over me. I feel like I can ask you some deeper questions because I think a lot of people who are listening to this or they may know somebody who is going through the same thing. So you're medicating and when you're not, you're drinking. What is the one thing that's not making you stop that? And I know that's like a really tough question, you know, for a lot of people, but you know, a lot of people can look at him and say, well, why don't you just stop if you don't feel good? You know, what is that thing that's making you sit in that toxic space? Because at that time, I was not able to look in the mirror and say, you're fucked up. Mm. And that was, that's for me. Like, and this is a lot of the things I'm saying does not work for everybody. But in my situation, I never actually sat down and faced what it was that was making me drink, that was making me uh, take all the medication. And so that's why it wasn't just a, well, why don't you stop? Well, because I'm not ready to face what's making me drink. And I I do see that in other people as well. But it wasn't until that moment where I looked in the mirror 
And I said, look, Iraq happened. You can blame the Marines. You can blame everybody who left you as friends. You can blame all everything outside that you want. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> you have a demon that set up shop in your head. And you, now what we have to do is we got to make that pay rent every damn day. And once I was able to get to that point, that is when I could put down the bottle. I can put down the medication. I can start working on me because look, what happened in the past happened. And <clears throat> we can we can sit here and blame all outside parties for however it is that we are right now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When I tell you, I absolutely love the fact that you said basically you have to let negativity pay rent. And if you're not paying rent in my mental real estate, then you have no home here. I just think that is, <laughs> you know, I never really say this often, but that is definitely mic drop. And I think it helps put things into perspective for people who are definitely struggling with either being negative themselves, holding on to negative things that have happened in the past, or knowing they're about to go down a road of negativity. It's like, you're not paying rent. So, okay. So you figure this out. You look in the mirror, which is very similar to my journey. I remember looking in the mirror and saying, you can look at yourself from outside of yourself. And it's also compounded with like a feeling too. And you just, it's almost like you say, this isn't me and I'm over you. And then you start to, you know, just say, I got to make a change. So what were, what was the next steps to once you figured out, okay, I'm not going to let this negativity or this demon sit in my head. What were the action steps you took? One thing that happened like right before that was a buddy of mine, <clears throat> excuse me, came to, came to me and was like, hey, there's this obstacle course race called Tough Mudder. It's 10 miles, 20 obstacles. You want to go for it? I was like, sure. Like, and at that point I was still drinking. I was like a mess. And so <clears throat> I was like, sure, yeah, we got this. I was a Marine. I can do whatever, whatever. Um, and we did that Tough Mudder, and it, like, just kicked my stuff in. Like, it destroyed me. But what had happened was, like, going over that finish line, I'm like, man, this feels good. Like, it, it, you pushed yourself. All of a sudden, you know, like, you did this work, and you did this, and you did that, and you crossed this finish line. Then there's this community of people, and you're like – damn, I haven't felt this good in a very long time. And that was that point where I looked in the mirror and was like, all right, now it's time to go. And <clears throat> it, that was when it's like, okay, now I want to continue to have this feeling. And to have that feeling, I needed to put in work. Like, that's what made me feel good. And, <clears throat> you know, like I said, from my past, I didn't have an athletic background. So like, sure, in the Marines, like, we ran a lot and we did some stuff, but I was never, like, really into, like, the weightlifting or anything like that. So I'm like, what do we do? And back at that time, <clears throat> Insanity, you'd still get, like, the infomercials and, like, the YouTube videos and all that stuff. And, like, you'd see it and I'm like, man, that looks tough. All right. All right. We're going to order it. And then we order the DVDs. And, Zeke, uh, you know, that in that first 60 days, man – that beat the crap out of me. And I, like, I, I think there's a video somewhere of me like doing it for the first time. And I just look like a monkey screwing a football. Like I look like <laughs> in terrible shape. I'm like trying to do all the, all the moves. And I just look like terrible. We but, all look like that. Even myself included creating that workout. I was literally like, what is happening? So you're not, a, you were not alone. Yeah. And, and so we finished the 60 day challenge and it was like, yeah, you know, feel good, but it was still that roller coaster, man. Like it was like, all right, I'm going to celebrate now and go back to drinking because that's what I know. But the thing about it was that <clears throat> with me, 
it's like you start with a celebration and then it's slowly like, and that's why I always say that demon, the demons, are, he's, he's tricky because like he knows how to infiltrate in the sense of like, oh, we're just going to celebrate, but knows where that celebration is going to go to. And so then kind of dip down towards that path again and was on and off again with doing insanity. <clears throat> and then, um, you know, it was Tough Mudder came around again and it was like, okay, we're going to get back into this. And that is when, I think it was like after that second Tough Mudder was when things just started to roll with that. And then it started with insanity and then you came out with max 30 and then it was, now we're going to hit up max 30. Um, and then I was introduced to asylum and then it was like, okay, we're going to do asylum. And that's when things started to get a little bit more progressed because then, you know, I was like, all right, I did asylum, but I wonder what happens if I double up, you know? And so then I would double up asylum. And then there was even one time, um, I got this crazy idea to do each asylum workout back to back. And so mm -hmm. I did that all the way through, which was completely stupid. <laughs> I mean, in one day. Yeah. And one day, like that, once the DVD ended, you hit the next one. Once the DVD ended, you hit the next one, so on and so forth, all the way till you get to, uh, overtime after game day. And so, yeah. And, but that's, was, a, that's actually, you know, before you continue on, yeah. I have a question. I have a comment and a question. <laughs> First of all, I've never done that before. And it is, I don't know if it's, I don't know what, I would love to know what you thought of it. Like how, do you think it was necessary to do that? However, now I want to try it because the, cha the challenge sounds intense. But just a really quick question. In the process of starting to do Insanity, Max 30, and Asylum, were you still on and off drinking? Or were you, were you now changing your drinking to movement? That's what it was. It was changing the drinking to movement. And that really started with Max 30. So like the first time I did Insanity, the drinking was still there. But then when Max 30 came around, it was like that change where I was so intense in the drinking that I just like flipped the script and then went so intense in on the, the workout. So like with Max 30 and then so on and so forth, um, <clears throat> you know, all the way to Asylum. And then I always say like that demon, he's tricky. And so he tries to infiltrate my head. And then it's like, Nah, bitch, we're, we're going to do, you know, the next DVD. Like, you, I like, love you, how you just said, nah, bitch. Like, we ain't doing that. Ain't doing that. Fuck out of here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, because it, it would be like, oh, okay. We're just like, I would tell myself, okay, we're just going to do Friday fight round one. Like, and it'd be like, oh yeah, we could do this. And then once that DVD ended, now I'm putting in round two right after it. And my head's like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's like, yeah, trick your mother. And then you go, you know, you go right to it. And so that's what kind of started to happen with all these workouts. And, um, and then I just continued on and continued on and then started to progress in obstacle course racing. Um, and so like did the tough mutters, did the world's toughest mutter, which is a tough mutter course you run for 24 hours and just however many loops you can do. Um, and then I go to Spartan races, do the sprint, the super, the ultra or the beast, and then go to the ultra and then started to do their endurance. So the doing the four hour hurricane heat, the 12 hour hurricane heat. And then that progressed to going to, uh, Pittsfield, Vermont here where on Joe's farm and doing the death race, which is just 72 hours of just pure craziness and you um, don't stop let's talk about that for a yeah. second because i've done some spartan races which i absolutely love 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 <laughs> but i've never i've i've only done the three i've never yeah. gone beyond so let's talk about this death rate so people can actually understand exactly what you're doing but more importantly like why i'm i'm sitting over here <laughs> why would i sign up for a 72 hour race but what what is because a lot of people would want to know what is the mindset of a person that would want to do that. You want to find your limit and go beyond it. Mm. And sometimes when like, they, look, there are people that do Spartan sprints. There are people that do five Ks. There are people that do half marathons, marathons, what have you. And they love it. And that is completely okay. Like you do you like, if that is what gets you, 
go all the way in. Like I always say, like, I don't care if you're into knitting, you better just knit the fuck out of a sweater. Like it, whatever you're into. So for, but for me, you're like, you're like 360 degrees of digging deep. Like if you're going to do it, do it. Exactly. And so for me though, it was like, okay, I did a sprint. I did a super, I did a beast. I did the ultra beast. Now what's next? I did the hurricane heats. So let's go see what the death race is about in the death race. So you, you get a start time for the death race. You don't have an end time. It's normally somewhere around 72 hours of just doing stuff. And what I mean by that is you go there, you, you have like your pack and all your stuff, all your gear and everything. And then it's like, all right, take off your pack, dump it out and then go run up Joe's mountain with a log or whatever. Get up to the top of the mountain. You do burpees, you come back down. All your stuff is in the river. Like it's just mentally, like physically and mentally, they just start screwing with you. And then you go over into this beaver pond that's on Joe's property. And it's like, go in the middle and just sit there. Like, and now pick up a log and hold it over your head and now get out, do burpees. Now go back in the water, stay there. Now go get your shit. Like, it's just constantly just mentally and physically tearing you down. Um, And it makes you question and overcome what you thought your limit was, whether you Mm -hmm. made full time or whether, you know, you didn't, you still get something out of that race. And did did you make it the entire time? I didn't. And so there's two weeks prior to that, I ran my first hundred mile race and, um, completely jacked up my feet. So like, it was bad, really, really bad. And so when you got to a portion of the death race where we had, there was, it was a time limit where you had to, I'm trying to remember the whole state of affairs, but I think you had to go over to the beaver pond, go in the beaver pond, run up to Joe's, uh, top of Joe's mountain, come back down and start a fire. And what had happened was because my feet were so wrecked from that hundred miler prior to, I didn't make the cutoff because all of the blisters and everything on my feet lacerated back open. And it was just like, my pace was completely jacked and I didn't make the cutoff. So, eh, you know, to each but you own. did the best that you could do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. I mean, you could sit here and you can be like, Oh, I got a DNF, which just stands for did not finish, but who cares? You went there, you towed the start line. And sometimes that's all that matters. And the thing about it is no matter what, like, you didn't fail. You either win or you weren't. That's it. And so, like, there'll be more death races. There'll be more other races, whatever. So just sign up again. Train better and go out and do. So, like, even if somebody was doing Insanity or Asylum, Max 30, Size, any of your workouts, you know, I heard so many times, like, I did the first month of Insanity and then, you know, it just fell off. I did the first month of Max 30 and then just fell off. Okay, we all did. Like I just sat here and told you, like I did insanity and then went back to drinking, but then I went back. And so you either win or you learn. And so you go, you do. And if you don't accomplish, you just go back and say, okay, what do I need to fix? And then you fix it and you go back. So it sounds like with, uh, with your, progression in exercise but more importantly your progression in your mental fitness meaning your ability to push beyond mentally because while physically you have to be in shape for a lot of those things i believe that mentally that's why they have races like the death race or a 24-hour race tell me about that moment where you realize if i can ask this question that you actually didn't need the alcohol and that you've started to feel a little bit more freedom in being yourself and kind of overcoming those past struggles? I think it was when I started to really dabble more into endurance type stuff. And there's not like this one moment that sticks out in my head. But when I look back at it, it was when I started to double up on you know, your workouts. And it was when I started to do the more kind of like things that tested and pushed your limits. Um, you know, when I did that first hundred mile uh, race, you know, you get to 
50 miles and you're like, I'm halfway. Holy shit. Now it's all mental. <laughs> now it's completely all mental. Or like I said, when I did asylum back to back to back to back and you get to the third DVD and you're like, fuck, I got so much more to go. Now that becomes mental. And you start to tap into this new thing that you didn't even know you had where you're like, no, I think I can do this. Like, and you just go, whether it's another step, whether it's another breath, whether it's another second, whatever it is, you just say to yourself, look, we're just going to make it to the next breath. And then after that, we'll figure it out. And that is that like those moments, that is when I started to actually be like, you know, I don't need drinking because all drinking did was made me try to forget everything. It, it silenced all these other senses. It silenced the strength that I had up here to actually fight for my life and fight that demon. And that is when I kind of started to understand like, Oh, we can do this. It's going to be hard, you know, and it's progressed. Like I did a 200 mile race last year, you know, and that's the other thing where it's like, now you get to a hundred miles and guess what? You're only halfway like, fuck. And uh, next month I have a uh, 550 mile run that I'm doing starting on May 20th. And it's like, you're just always finding that next limit and finding all of all also start opening all these doors. You didn't even know you had to fight. You truly, you truly start tapping into the reserve, but you said something really interesting about 30 seconds ago. <clears throat> and I am so interested to hear the definition <laughs> and you probably don't even know what this is, but you said we, Mm-hmm. Who is the we you're referring to? So you're talking about when I say like. You we. said we started, we started. And I'm like, okay, who's the we? Like what, you know, you and who? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Me and myself, for me, you get to that point where you feel so alone, but you're never Mm -hmm. alone. There's always this other person. Now, you know, everyone always looks at your angel and demon, you know, and you have that little like devil on the side and this little angel on the side. But when, you know, you get down or out or you're depressed or, you know, anything, or you're just talking that self-talk to yourself, no one ever thinks about like, where does that come from? And for me, that's when I say we. Because, yes, I have that demon. And he's up there. He's lived there. He's going to be there the rest of my life. And But I also have this other, and that's why, like, that's that's my mosey. And, like, sometimes I got to put mosey. (laughs) I got to put mosey in the cage. But sometimes when I unlock that dude out, like, that is when we wreak havoc. And, like, you know, I wake up every morning. Um, it used to be 3am until my coach yelled at me to sleep more. So I gave her another hour. Now it's 4am every morning and we go down, we get the workout in me and Mosey, we go down and we get that workout in. And then me and Mosey, we throw on those running shoes and we get out there. It doesn't matter. Like this morning it was snow and sleet, rain, all that. Guess what? That demon needs to pay rent. So me and Mosey, we're going to go after it. It's it's very interesting that you call your demon Mosey, but I think it's that you are making him pay rent and you're actually turning him into something. And so, hold, real quick, yeah. 
real quick. My demon is not Mosey. Mosey is the one oh. keeps that demon in check. Uh, oh, he, I got you. That's all I was so like, trying I, to make sure. Yeah, no, like that that demon, that's just a demon. Mosey is the psychopath that wakes up at three in the morning to go on a 20 mile run, like to hit a marathon before he goes to work. You know, Mosey's the crazy dude that's going to go do an 888K next month, you know, 10 days, 56 miles a day to get after it. The demon in there, that's, he's just a bitch. Like, like you, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense because yeah. I actually, that's what I thought it was. And then I had a question for that, but it, yeah. in my, the way you, I interpreted it, I was like, oh, Mosey is the demon, but Mosey is not the demon. Okay. Nope. So now I can go back to the question that I have, because I think this right. is for me, extremely important. And I think it'd be extremely important for a lot of people. <clears throat> when is, do you remember the moment where you didn't feel alone anymore and you, knew that Mosey was there with you. And the reason why I asked that question is because earlier on, we talked about losing friends, not everybody, but some people walk away. And I know that when you're going through anything, be it drinking or recovering from whatever it is, even mental stuff, there's a lot of times where you can feel alone. And I just think that at some point, Mosey made his Mosey moseyed on in and you no longer felt alone. So do you remember when that moment was? The one that sticks out to me the most, and I think it's been like just this super connection ever since then, I'll go back to it, was that first 100-mile race. And I say that because, <clears throat> you know, it's 1 in the morning. I'm out in the middle of the Vermont woods. Like darkness, like you would never even, like that you never even seen before. Just complete darkness, all you guys are headlamp. My feet were on fire. Um, just felt like you were stepping on broken glass on fire each step just because of a lot of bad decisions on my part with foot care. And you're going up, you're like, I'm climbing this mountain and I'm like, there's no way I can do this. Like, there's just no way. But then I started to kind of have that self-talk with myself. And that's where like, oh, oh this is Mosey right here. Like, cause that self-talk was not like, sunshines and rainbows this was like you know like when when you were doing insanity and you're just like yelling and you're screaming and so on and so forth take that multiply it by 20 put in a bunch of four letter f words and like that's mosey and it's like look you either keep going forward or you die like that is your only options right now and that uh, second option is not an option so just keep moving forward. And that is when that, when Mosey came in and it was like, all right, here we go. Like, yeah, we just got another 20 miles, like whatever, just one foot in front of the other, just keep going. No matter what is out there, it's just you and Mosey. Let's roll. Uh, I'm smiling or smirking. <laughs> I think smiling for a couple of different reasons. One because my entire goal when I create a workout program, uh, like Insanity and Asylum and Max 30, is for you, or not you, but anyone out there, for them to eventually become my voice. Because a lot of people say, you know, I hear you. If, if, if they do do a race or if they're going throughout their day, they just say, you know, I hear you, Shanti, saying dig deeper. And I'm like, great. But one day I want that voice to be your own. And so by you, by you telling me that, you know, Mosey out screamed me, which, you know, I, I, I you know, come compete with that. I go into competition <laughs> with Mosey, but I'm just kidding. I just think that, I mean, no, I don't think. I know that that makes me super happy and super proud. And the other thing was, and I don't think I, you can see this on my screen, but I just got a tattoo. I saw it the end of the Instagram, tattoo. Yeah. And the tattoo says, always forward, because life isn't going to stop. Time isn't going to stop. Aging isn't going to stop. So I feel like in these moments where we struggle, by you stopping and staying stagnant without even having a thought process to move forward, you're working against what life wants you to do, which is to move forward. And so um, I just, I just love how you're, cause I think it just also 
just really defines what one foot in front of the other means. Because so, for so long, I believe that people th- always thought one foot in front of the other is like, okay, keep going. But why? You know, why should I keep going? You know, and you keep going so that you can continue to believe so that you can become your own voice and your own motivator. And that's what I tell people. Um, I have it. I have bracelets made up. I always give away a ton of them. I, I, because the one thing I tell myself and I tell everyone else is that you have to make your why greater than your excuse to quit. Like, and that's at the end of the day, that's it. Like when you wake up, why are you waking up? Why are you waking up at three? Why are you in this hundred mile race? This, it doesn't, it, why are you doing insanity? Like, why are you on day one? And once you make your why greater than your excuse to quit, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but I guarantee you won't quit. And the why is winning. And that Mm -hmm. means you are winning. Uh, Jason, can you define trust and believe and tell the listeners what trust and believe means to you? You have to trust the process and believe that you're going to get out of it what you put in. Like no matter how long it takes, you got to trust that even on the shittiest day you're having, that you will get what you get. What you get. And um, the other thing is I'm actually afraid to ask. <laughs> how can people, how can anyone do one of these ridiculously tough digging deep races with you? So you can follow me on social media. It's just Jason, J-A-S-O-N underscore Mosey, M-O-Z-E-Y. You can see what I'm doing. Um, You can look anywhere around the country. There's always something crazy to do. Um, (laughs) the, The other thing, though, that I want people to understand is that you can also challenge yourself. Last year... With COVID, obviously all these races canceled and everything like that. So just like when I took those Asylum DVDs and I just backed them up back to back, you know, my 100 mile races were canceled. I don't care. I'm going to go make a 10 mile run 100 miles because that's what we can do. You can always challenge yourself, make your why greater than your excuse to quit. And always trust and believe in who you are, Jason. Or I should say, I'm talking to Mosey right now. Just <laughs> Mosey is the powerful source here. No, you both are. But thank you so much for sharing your story, for being so open and vulnerable. Um, because there are moments that you shared that I believe um, you had to go deep within to help us understand the process. So thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great.